One of the things I enjoy the most about being a pastor at the turn of the new year is that there are always believers who are interested in making New Year's resolutions regarding reading the Bible. Perhaps some want to read the Bible for, for, for the first time cover to cover. Others want to read the Bible cover to cover again. For some believers, this is their first attempt at reading the Bible in depth. They want to study the Bible and really understand what it says. But believers have so many questions about the Bible. Why are there so many translations? Which translation do we use? What are some additional tips that you might have for us to make sure that we can maximize our Bible reading in the upcoming year? I want to spend a few moments today in this podcast unpacking the answers to those questions and spending time encouraging you to spend time in the Word of God in this upcoming year. For those who are serious about understanding the Word of God, our selection of a Bible translation and of a specific study Bible will go a long way to our ability to do so. This is probably the primary question that I receive as a pastor as it relates to the Bible. Which translation do you preach from, pastor? Which translation would you recommend? Well, there's a lot there to unpack, and it really depends on those who are reading the text. As an example, I preach out of the NIV because I believe that it is really accessible for the average believer. Anybody can pick up the NIV and begin reading through it, and you know, with the exception of all of the challenges that come with reading an ancient text and trying to understand it in a contemporary setting, uh, it is accessible. We can understand the words that are used. On the other side of the spectrum, there are examples such as the King James Version, which can be very difficult for the modern reader to read because the English language has changed so much since 1611. The question for those who are reading the text might be, How do I intend to study the Word of God? Do I like to do word studies? Do I like to read large portions of Scripture and look at the flow of thought? Those sort of questions will really inform those who are selecting a version of the Bible on which translation would be best for them. So as I said, I preach out of the NIV, but I actually study for the sermons that I'll preach from a New American Standard Bible. And in my personal reading time, I read the Christian Standard Bible. And so I use three different translations. I use, by the way, the CSB as my personal study Bible. This is kind of a quirk about me just to share. I do that because I like to use a different Bible than I work with throughout the week. I like to kind of separate uh, my time, my professional time from my personal time in God's Word and uh, to spend a lot of time in both. And so as we look at that, the question might come into your mind of why are there so many translations? You know, it can be really overwhelming. You walk into a bookstore and you see a King James, a New King James. You see an NET, an NIV, NLT, CSB. At this point, it sounds like I'm just throwing letters out there, but I promise those represent actual versions of the Bible. Why are there so many translations? Well, I think it's important that I answer that question because that will sort of inform us about the sort of translation that best fits our needs. So very quickly, and we could spend a lot of time unpacking this, but there are three basic categories of translations. And one of those, I would actually argue, doesn't fit at all because 
it's not actually a translation. So those three categories, and as I said, I'll take time to explain if the terms seem to be kind of over your head maybe or they're just big phrases, please hold on. We're going to explain. There is a formal equivalence, there is a dynamic equivalence, and then there are paraphrases. Now a formal equivalence does its best to maintain a word-for-word -word translation. Now I hesitate a little bit to say that because I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. You understand if you took Spanish or French or German in high school that when you try to translate from a language, from any foreign language, into contemporary English, that you do not often have the same syntax, the same rules for how a sentence is structured or your verb conjugation or whatever it might be. And so there have to be changes in order to maintain a, an understanding of the concrete expression that was originally uttered in whatever translation you were translating from. So that gets a little bit confusing, but some people describe formal equivalence translations as literal translations or as word-for-word -word translations, although there are no quote-unquote word-for-word translations absolutely. Instead, these do their best to convey the exact same words or to translate the specific words into a modern equivalence. Now, these uh, examples of these might be the New American Standard Bible, the New King James, the King James, the ESV, and so on and so forth. Now, the benefit of a text that is a formal equivalence, and the reason I use a New American Standard Bible in my personal study, uh, my professional study, I should say, as I prepare for sermons, is that it enables us to do a better job in our word studies. We want to better understand the exact words that were used in Hebrew in the Old Testament or in Greek in the New, and we want to be able to spend time developing our understanding of those terms. We also want to understand a flow of thought in its original language to the best of our ability. And various translations do a better job than others of maintaining the, the writer's original intent so far as the sentence structure is concerned. And so you could spend time looking those up. But uh, a formal equivalence, a quote-unquote literal translation or word-for-word word translation are really helpful for in-depth study. So if you're going to be studying, doing a lot of studying of God's Word, I would strongly recommend a formal equivalence. Uh, translation. The other uh, common example would be, or category of translation, would be a dynamic equivalence. Now, what a dynamic equivalence translation sets out to do is to convey the concrete meaning in the text, but when there are idioms that are used, idioms are phrases that convey a concrete meaning, but they do so in perhaps non-literal language, such as, it is raining cats and dogs outside. We use that idiom to express the concrete idea or, or reality that it is raining heavily outside. So we employ idioms all the time. But if somebody is trying to translate that word for word, the problem is that in diverse cultures, idioms are very different from one another. For instance, in Hebrew, often the center of emotions was in the bowels. It wasn't in the heart. And so if you were to convey that and you would say that I'm stirred in the bowels 
Well, that conveys something very different in English. It sounds like you had a particular uh, fast food restaurant chain that you had eaten from and your stomach is upset. It might not convey the fact that somebody is stirred emotionally. And so somebody translating the uh, from a text into modern-day English might have to change that idiom to a contemporary idiom such as I was stirred in my heart and that would convey the exact same meaning it is a literal translation still it's just literal in its meaning even if the word is not one for one it's not exact examples of dynamic equivalents would be the NIV the NLT the CSB these are very helpful for the contemporary reader because of the cultural differences that exist. And so if you are a newer believer, if you are somebody who perhaps struggles with uh, having time to look at the context in a deeper way, I would strongly recommend a dynamic equivalence. That is why I preach from the NIV, because it is so much easier to understand for many believers than a formal equivalence would be. The third category of so-called translation uh, would be a paraphrase. And I kind of put that in scare quotes, which I realize you can't see. Uh, But I did that because I don't believe that paraphrases are actually translations. It isn't as though scholars sat down and they translated from the Hebrew or Greek into a modern language, and they're just using updated language. Instead, what they are doing is they are trying to put the thought, the original thought that the writer had into a contemporary understanding, and they are doing so not by translating the words word for word, but instead by asking, what do I believe this means, and how can I convey it to the best of my ability? So Eugene Peterson would have done this when he published the Message Translation. Another example of that would be the Living Bible. Now, I don't hate paraphrases. There are uses for them. The very first Bible that I read cover to cover was a paraphrase. It was a Living Bible. And it helped me to understand the big picture and to understand the story. They are not useful in any way for studying the Word of God, however, because the words vary from the original text. And so I don't think that it is always appropriate, and this is my personal conviction, I don't like to describe them as actual Bibles or as translations of the Bible, even though I recognize that they use the biblical narratives and I think that there is something that we can glean from them. And so if you are a very young reader, if you are somebody who really struggles with reading comprehension, you say, look, reading the NIV, the CSB, the NLT, those are those are beyond what I'm able to understand. Then I don't think there's anything wrong with reading a paraphrase. I don't want to discourage you. At whatever point you enter into studying the Word of God and reading it, feel free to do so. So those are translations. So I hope that that is helpful as you consider which translation would be best for me to use. But then the question becomes, well, which study Bible do I use? So I recognize now that I I want to read the New King James Version or the NASB or I want to read the NIV or whatever it might be. But there there are many examples of study Bibles for each. What makes a Bible a good study Bible and why do we need a study Bible at all? Well, I would tell you that if your goal is just to read cover to cover, that's your entire goal, I just want to complete the reading, then you do not need a study Bible. I have reading Bibles. They are not study Bibles. They are ones I just sit down and I read through. And there are places for those. 
But if you have never studied the Word of God in a deeper way, if you are a new believer, if you struggle perhaps to understand even some parts of Scripture, and just as a disclaimer, all of us are in that category, I believe, every one of us, I think that study Bibles are helpful in our actual study of the Word of God. I think that there is a real place for each of us to have a study Bible or to even have a number of them depending on our specific interests. Why do we need a study Bible? Because there are a lot of gaps in our understanding. When we are looking at a translation of an ancient manuscript or a series of ancient manuscripts, we understand that there are a number of gaps that exist. There are linguistic gaps, which we've already discussed. The language is different. If we were just to pick up a Hebrew or a Greek manuscript, we likely wouldn't understand it. We needed somebody to translate that. But as I already described, they had to employ a specific theory of translation. Did they translate so-called word for word? Did they do so using a dynamic equivalence? How did they translate it? We need somebody who used, uh, who bridged those gaps using a method that b best conforms to our needs. That's the kind of study Bible that we need. There are additional gaps. There are geographical gaps. Do we understand how far Jericho is from Jerusalem? Do we understand how far Egypt is from Israel? Why were there conflicts of territory? What is the specific region such as uh, the hill country in Israel? What, what is unique about these areas? Well, if we have never traveled to Israel or the surrounding communities, then we might not understand some aspects of the Word of God or understand some of the things that are happening contextually. There are definitely cultural gaps that exist. There are names that are used that are very unfamiliar to us, maybe even peculiar. There are practices in Scripture that we might not relate to. And, of course, we are separated by time. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus walked the face of the earth in his earthly ministry. The Apostle Paul has been dead for nearly 2,000 years. We go back even further when we look at David's lifespan or Abraham's, which is further back yet still. And so there are a lot of gaps that exist, and a good study Bible helps us to bridge those gaps. It explains the geographical differences, the cultural differences. It explains the differences in practices. A lot of times they have running notes that help explain the text so we can follow the flow of thought and understand it within its context. A good study Bible uses charts and maps that help us to understand what's happening in its specific geographical context. Uh, but what makes a good study Bible is they talk about why we need to use a good study Bible. That sort of informs you a little bit about how you should choose a good study Bible. But I'm going to share a few things that I believe you need to look for in a good study Bible. Because that phrase, you know, there's nothing that really qualifies something as a quote-unquote study Bible other than the publisher who designates it as such. And so I've seen quote-unquote study Bibles that have nothing but cross-references. And I think, well, that, that helps you study a little bit because, you know, you might look at a, a chapter of the Word of God that deals with God's love, and there might be a cross-reference that says, well, have you considered this passage in the Psalms that talks about God's love? And so there is benefit to cross-references, but I wouldn't call that a study Bible. It's not helpful in bridging all of the gaps that I just described. So a good study Bible, from my perspective, has these, these components. One, it has footnotes. And these footnotes explain the verses that you read in the Word of God. 
This is a running commentary. These commentaries are not inspired. There are many famous pastors and theologians who have published study Bibles, and they might be called the John MacArthur Study Bible or whoever Study Bible, the Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah, whoever it might be. And it is their notes that go along with that. And as I just said, these notes are not inspired. We need not be dogmatic on them. If we read through and we find one uh, one explanation for a verse in, in our study Bible with which we find disagreement, that doesn't mean that that study Bible is completely useless to us. But we should look for footnotes that explain the text. The more explanation that we need, perhaps, again, if we are younger believers, if we've not read the Bible cover to cover, if we haven't sat under sound preaching for year after year, we probably need more footnotes than somebody who's been a believer for a longer period of time and has done studies um, on their own. And so footnotes are important, and the number of study and the number of footnotes. I would say that a good study Bible must contain maps. That's just a, an entry level for me. We need to have maps that help us to understand, you know, again, how far did the Philistines live from the Israelites? Why was that conflict? It helps us to understand that. Uh, when Paul was going up to Damascus, which way was he headed? How far of a journey was he taking? Those sort of things are important to know. Bible charts are very useful. So they explain things such as the great feasts in the Old Testament. They explain things such as the history of the church, as um, Jesus uh, calls his disciples, and then we find them empowered on the day of Pentecost, and those who are praying with them in the upper room, we find them take the gospel message and plant churches, and, and good charts sort of put that all in front of us in a visual way, and many other sorts of things that happen in God's Word. Some Bibles include charts of characters, and so they might have kind of a breakdown on the life of somebody famous in God's Word, such as Rahab, or Abraham or David or so on and so forth. And so charts are very useful. And one of the things that I would really recommend that you look for in a study Bible is an outline to the book. Now, a good outline to each of the books of the Bible. When you look at a study Bible, let's say you turn to to 1 Timothy and you open it up. There should be an introduction to 1 Timothy. And it should contain an outline that says, here's what chapter one is about. Here's what chapter two is about. And it shows you breakdown in flows of thought. So we have the greeting from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And then we find the context in the next few verses. Why did he leave Timothy where he left him? What what was Timothy supposed to do? And so you look at that outline and it explains it for you. Why is this useful? Well, when we read anything, whether it's the Bible, whether it's a newspaper, whether it's a blog online, we read entire flows of thought. I trust that you have never picked up, you have never picked up a newspaper, you have never opened an email, just found a random paragraph in the middle, read that one paragraph and closed it and said I did my reading for the day. No, we read the entire thing in its context so we understand what's happening. Where did this email begin? What, what is the sender trying to communicate? How does it end? We want to understand a complete flow of thought. You don't have to read the Bible chapter to chapter. You don't have to read the entire book of the Bible in one sitting 
to understand a flow of thought, but if you look at an outline, it tells you what's happening in this specific division in God's Word, and you can read, and sometimes flows of thought happen, there might be three different flows of thought in one chapter. Sometimes one flow of thought, one narrative happens uh, over a series of a few chapters in God's Word. It's helpful to know that. Because I want you to read the Bible the same way you read an email, the same way you read a newspaper, in that you read an entire flow of thought. So an outline is useful for those purposes. So I recommend that if you are selecting a study Bible, you select one that has footnotes, one that has maps, one that has charts, and one that has outlines for every book of the Bible. Well, what are some specific tips that I have for you to maximize your understanding of the Word of God for 2024? The first one is that I don't want you to feel the need to read. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're somebody who struggles to read and to follow a flow of thought in that way, if I can encourage you, there are free websites online that you can access. There are apps. There are a number of different ways that you can find audio versions of the Bible. You can sit back and listen. Some of the people that I love the most struggle to read and to retain what they read, but they love to sit down and listen to the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, for most of us, we travel to work. We drive, say, 5 to 20 miles to work. If you if you spend 15 minutes in the car one way on your way to work and back, you know, it only takes a few weeks to listen to the entire New Testament. That's it. In most versions of audio Bibles, the New Testament is between 6 and 10 hours long, depending on how fast you set your listening. You can speed up the reader. Um, and so that doesn't take that long, really, to listen to. Some people use audio Bibles as a supplement to their reading. There are a lot of ways you could use it. But don't feel the need to read in order to complete your quote-unquote reading of the Word of God for the year. Feel free to listen to it as well. The second is, use the resources in your study Bible. I just spent time describing what you should look for in a study Bible, but a lot of us have these fancy study Bibles and we never use the resources that are contained in them. Before you begin reading each book of the Bible, if I can encourage you, read the introduction to the text. Read it. Spend time looking at it. If you're confused about something in the text, don't throw your hands in the air and be discouraged and walk away. Read the footnotes. Ask, does that help me understand what it says? If you're reading through it and you come to a location and the name of that location is foreign to you, take time and look it up in the back and see in the maps, where is this where is this city located? Where is this region located? If there is a name that is provided... And that Bible that you have, your study Bible, has a dictionary or it has an explanation of specific characters, read their overview of that character. Even better if there's a chart that corresponds with it, with that individual. Spend time reading it so that you gain as much understanding as possible. The third, and I already touched base on this, but I, I want to make sure that you don't miss this. Read through a flow of thought. Don't be committed to just, I'm going to read one chapter each day, because especially if you're reading through a historical narrative, such as through Genesis or through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, one of the Gospels, so on and so forth, sometimes we're reading through and a flow of thought might take a few chapters or just half of one chapter. Look at your outline, see what an entire flow of thought is and read, a flow, read one chapter thought 
from the beginning to the conclusion. Next, spend time reading the Psalms and Proverbs. Don't feel bad about, uh, in addition to reading through, say, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in a day, uh, sitting down and reading a psalm each day or a proverb, especially if you have not read the Word of God a lot, can I encourage you, read a psalm and a proverb a day. Why? Because they are really accessible. They are easy to understand. In the Psalms, we find such emotion that is brought before God. We find what I would call the sacred hymnal of of the Hebrews. And you have a chance to open that up and, and you can relate to the emotions. Sometimes we read through some of Paul's writings. And even, by the way, in the Word of God, uh, Peter describes Paul's writings as difficult to understand. The Psalms are often not that. We read them and we can understand what they are communicating. Proverbs is the same way. Proverbs, by the way, are short phrases that convey uh, general principles for wise living. Wisdom being understanding more what God is like and responding accordingly. That would be wisdom in, in Proverbs. But as you read through that, um, you can understand what is being communicated. They are very easy to understand and even to apply. And so read a psalm, read a proverb every day in addition to your other reading. It will help you to understand what God is like in a greater way, and you will be shocked at the transformation that God does through your life as you do so. The next is ask questions. Always feel free to walk up to your life group leader, whether you attend the church that I pastor or another church, Ask spiritual leaders for insight on a text. If you know a mature believer, even even if they attend a different church than you, feel free to reach out to them and say, I'm really confused by this, and I'm reading through my footnotes, and I see I have two different study Bibles, and they each offer a different explanation for the text. What do I do with this? Help me. Ask them to explain that to you. I trust that they'd be willing to do that. In addition to your friends, family members, spiritual supporters, there are other resources to use. There's a free resource I encourage people to use often. It is gotquestions.org. You have a question such as, what is the unpardonable sin? Look that up. Go to gotquestions.org and and read about it. Check out reputable pastors, and there's a number of those, but I always encourage people to read individuals such as Dr. David Jeremiah. He's somebody whose work I am largely, if not completely, in agreement with. Look up reputable pastors and resources like that. And if you're confused on a passage or you just want deeper understanding or you want to ask the passage that I'm reading right now, how does it relate to the rest of Scripture? Use additional sources. Next, and this is important, apply what you read. The goal when we read the Word of God is not just to gain a lot of head knowledge. The goal is to be increasingly transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We want to walk even as he walked. We want to apply what we read. We want to be obedient to it. Sometimes we read things and they sting us to the to the core. We are convicted. If you feel convicted because you say, the scripture tells me to do something differently than I am, then change what you're doing. If it challenges you to do something new, then do that. If it's challenging you to share the gospel and you've never done that, then, then walk in that. I would encourage you to apply what you read. In fact, as you read the Word of God, you should be asking that question. What does this mean for me? Not uniquely, how can I twist this and take it out of context to uh, fit what I wanted to say? That's not what I mean. But I mean, 
what did it mean to the original audience? What were they being asked to do and to believe about God because of what was communicated? What does that mean to me today? How can I apply these principles in my contemporary setting? And the final tip that I will give you today, before I just touch base quickly on two contemporary study Bibles, the final tip I will give you is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if you read a passage of Scripture and you're confused and you say, this is over my head. You know, I have a seminary degree. I have been reading the Bible for most of my life. I have been blessed to sit under really good Bible preachers, and I praise the Lord for them, and I'm so grateful. But there are still passages of Scripture. There are still days I pick up the Word of God, and I start reading through, and I say, what is this saying? And something seems to be over my head. I, I try not to be discouraged and say, you know, I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He will illuminate what I need to understand so that I can apply it, so that I can grow as a believer. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have that hope as well. We also have the resources that I've already described. That is a blessing. That is a gift. Those are gifts from God. Let's use those. In those moments, let's not be so discouraged that we walk away. Let's press on. And if we don't come to an understanding of that particular phrase, let's not allow, or that verse, let's not allow that to be an excuse for why we don't read the Bible tomorrow. Let's just pick up afresh with a new perspective and continue reading the Word of God. The more time you spend reading the Bible, the more you will understand it. Okay, so don't be discouraged. Well, as I kind of teased in the beginning, I am going to end with just a quick review of two newer study Bibles. Uh, Over the course of the last few years, there have been a number of new study Bibles that have been published, and two of those have caught my attention, and those would be the Grace and Truth Study Bible, which was published in 2021, and the Evangelical Study Bible, which was just published last year, came out in April of 2023. Well, the Grace and Truth Study Bible is one that I enjoy. I I own one, and it has some good footnotes, and it has some explanations of some theological topics, and I find that to be helpful. The dictionary that comes with it is very helpful, and the cross-references I have found to be pretty good as well. And so the Grace and Truth Study Bible is pretty good. The introductions are good. The maps are okay. I wouldn't say that there's anything fantastic about them. It doesn't contain a whole lot of charts other than some theological breakdowns, Uh, but the challenge that I find with it or the limitation to it is that it does not contain outlines for specific books of the Bible. And so I would not recommend it for most unless you are using an extra resource that provides those outlines for you. And even some of the footnotes are not exhaustive. There's not a lot of detail to all of those. And so I would say that the Grace and Truth Study Bible is a very helpful Bible for those who have been believers for a long period of time, who have done some studies on their own. I would recommend that Bible for you. The general editor for it, by the way, is Albert Moeller, who is the present president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I really enjoy his podcast, The Briefing, which I spend time listening to. The other newer study Bible is the Evangelical Study Bible. As I said, it was published just last year. It has fantastic charts, outlines, introductions to, to books of the Bible, 
I would strongly recommend it if you are a new believer or you are looking for a Bible, a study Bible for the first time. Maybe you'd say, I've never had one. This is a good example of the kind of Bible I would recommend for you. There are other examples of that, but as far as newer study Bibles, this would be a great study Bible for you to use. And so if I could just share those two quick reviews for you. Now, as I end this week's podcast, I just want to give a quick shout out. One of my good friends is planting a church in Heston, Kansas. Uh, this will uh, this will launch this upcoming Sunday. Uh, his name is Eric. Uh, his wife's name's Hannah. If you could pray for Eric, Hannah, and their congregation in Heston, uh, Kansas, as it launches this upcoming Sunday and in the months to come, I would greatly appreciate it. As believers, we should always be excited when new churches are being planted. It's exciting to see the new work that the Lord is doing there and all around the world. Well, I pray that the new year has started off well for you, and I hope that it continues to do so. May the Lord bless you.